0: it's time for class
1: civics just doesn't begin and end on election day
0: this is sunday civics the home for the civically engaged with political strategist l joy williams on serious xm's urban view
1: happy sunday welcome 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 everyone it is Sunday and of course if it is Sunday you are listening to Sunday Civics the home for the civically engaged I am your host, your civics teacher and your neighborhood political strategist Joy Williams and I am so glad that you made it to class this morning. Now some of us just finished celebrating the incoming of a new administration and as my guest who I'll bring on later and I will talk about and share we are permitting ourselves a brief time to celebrate and let the new administration get their bearings, find out where all the dirt is and, you know, some executive orders out of the way, see how bad things were before, um, you know, we start getting in people's behinds. But that'll be, you know, short-lived. But at that same time, we also need to prepare ourselves for governing and accountability, which we've been talking about here on the show. And you may be asking yourself, govern? Who? Me? Me, should I how am I participating in governance? That's what I elected people to do because I got a job, I got kids, I got other things to take care of. I elected these people that had similar values, maybe not a hundred percent the same. They had the same focus of policy or issues that I wanted to take care of. I hired them through my vote so they could do their job and I can go off and live my life. But we do have a role in governing folks. While the elected officials we hired through our vote have the day-to-day responsibility of carrying that out, they cannot properly represent us without hearing directly from us, from the people they represent. So I have your first homework assignment for 2021. Those of you who are listening, you're in class, you're taking your notes, it's up on the board. You have two assignments. Number one, if you haven't already, find out who represent you on the federal, state, and local level. Now, you know, you probably already have this information. You helped them get elected. You communicated. You saw all of their TV ads and everything over the past couple of Uh, well, maybe over the past year, but that was just on the federal level. That could have been just Congress. That could have been the presidency. There are other people who represent you as well. So I want you to find out who represents you on the federal, state, and local level. Collect all of their information, their social media handles and other contact information. And I want you to have that at the ready. Save it on your phone, whether you're an Android or an iPhone user, or you still have a landline. (laughs) You want to write this information down save it in your phone and keep it at the ready because you may need to contact them on a regular basis depending on how things are going now the second step is you're going to contact each of them on each level, and you're going to share with them your top three priorities as a constituent. It's real simple, you're gonna say, maybe to your congressional person, I am a constituent of yours, and these are my top three priorities. It can be addressing the COVID uh, pandemic, it could be the economy, it could be something local in your community, but remember, Each level has different roles and responsibility. So if your priority is trash pickup or tickets, uh, something like that, you wouldn't contact your congressional person. That responsibility is on the local level. And the same thing if you, you know, contacting your alderman about Medicare for All, while they in the city council or in the council may pass a resolution in support of the issue, who can actually get it done is on the state level or on the federal level. So it's really important to set priorities based upon who you are contacting. So think of each priorities for each level, and you're going to communicate to the people you hired with your vote. You may not be able to visit your representatives um, due to the panorama, (laughs) so this is a good time to use social media and email, and that's why I want you to do the first step of looking up who represents you and having their information at the ready. Now, I wouldn't be a good teacher if I didn't also provide some samples for you, some information on how you can get this done. So you can actually visit the website at sundaycivics.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook and use some of the draft tweets and shareable images so you can share your priorities with those who represent you on social media. So you can't go to their office because we're still in a pandemic. However, you can tweet your three priorities to your state senator, your council member, your alderman, your state legislator, your congressional person, or even your U.S. senator. So I want you to participate in that action. Make sure to use the hashtag Sunday Civics when you're doing it because I want to see what people's priorities are. I want to see you taking civic action. And so you can tag me in it. Just don't get me cussed out by your your elected official, but you can also, use the hashtag Sunday Civic so we can help amplify what your priorities are as constituents. Now, when we come back, I'm bringing one of my homegirls who is used to being at the front of the class, Dr. Christina Greer. We're going to talk shop. We're going to talk about uh, our priorities for the incoming administration on the federal level, how we hold the presidential administration accountable, and so much more. We are overdue for a spa day, so we are basically doing the conversation that we would do at the the spa for you. So we'll be back with more Sunday Civics.
0: All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the T-shirt, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the T-shirt? I go let you know.
1: Welcome back to Sunday Civics. Now, we have all been talking about the historic nature of a vice president Kamala Harris and the comfort of (laughs) President Joe Biden but we're celebrating but I've also been talking about how accountability is also love and so talking continuing this conversation about accountability I brought one of my homegirls back to the show Uh, it's been such a long time Dr. Christina Greer hey girl hi sweet I miss you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i can't wait for our like post covid you don't day understand vacation. i have it all
0: planned out i have it all planned out <laughs> like literally top to bottom
1: <laughs> i can't it's, wait it's like, so amazing we, we can go outside and see people again and oh. i don't know wh- why people are still acting like they can't get rona in these streets and not standing behind home because <sighs> earlier this uh, like er- like earlier into the weekend i saw like dave Chappelle. i was like how were you with people huh? like who why are people outside like in, And in, also like, people,
0: just because you got one shot doesn't mean you're free and clear. And even if you are vaccinated properly, still wear your mask social distance and stay your butt inside,
1: like sacrifice uh, a little bit so we can be normal again. We want to be normal. We want to go on lunch.
0: things project. with our friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. I don't want to. I'm, I'm tired of mask me. <laughs> That's what my sister calls it. But I have all these little chin bumps for my mask. Oh, Why? Goodness. Because I actually
1: wear a mask. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we have multiple wearing masks. And even when we do go outside just to like walk and be outside, not have people so close. So I just like take off the mask and be outside and breathe in fresh air. Cause Um, I've just been
0: in the house and I feel like the vitamin D is, I need to probably oh. take a supplement because girl, all, I'm just, I'm atrophying.
1: <laughs> all Black people going to have to go see their primary care doctors about vitamin D. I mean, I was already deficient before the pandemic. Right, right. I My body is like, what is, are we in a, what is happening? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know,
0: my my I my skin gets really, really bleached in the wintertime. And I'm just
1: looking at myself right now on the Zoom like, oh, girl, like, <laughs> no travel you know hey no travel you need some color oh wait I remember old folks saying that to you You oh
0: yeah my mom used to lather me down in not sunblock but suntan oil and like throw me and my sister in the pool like beat it (laughs) stay in there until you're brown don't get black (laughs) oh my gosh to this day I wear a number four I know your listeners are going to be like, what? I put on a number four oil and I sit out there and bake from like 8 a.m. to about 3 p.m. And then I'm like, let's do it again tomorrow.
1: <laughs> I am
0: serious about and
1: that's your color for the season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, we've been talking about accountability and particularly as it pertains to a presidential administration. What does holding a president or vice president accountable look like? Well, first, I think for me, I've been thinking about this idea of pragmatic patience, Mm.
0: because I think accountability is incredibly important. But we have to recognize that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are walking into a disaster zone. We only know one one millionth of of the nonsense that went on these past four years. So all the things that they either have to undo or the things that have just been neglected, He's still trying to sift through what the real problems are, because keep in mind, he didn't have a proper transition. Like he only had a few weeks before the previous administration started to show him some of what was going on. And we know that they didn't keep records because criminals tend not to keep records. So he's piecing together what, what the real problem is. And I think holding him accountable means a few things as the black person, because that's who I fundamentally care about. There are certain issues that are disproportionately affecting us. So we know that COVID is affecting us disproportionately. We know that the vaccine rollout and PSAs and understanding and trusting the vaccine is affecting us differently. We know that the, the link to the economic vitality of our communities is linked to COVID and the vaccine and all of these things. And so, I th- think that we need to be patient but firm. So allow Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to get in and assess the situation. And once they articulate what the situation is, then we need to stay on them. The interesting thing is, I think Joe Biden, because he has compassion, I think many of the policies will directly benefit Black people. And I I also think that something I sort of learned about in grad school and wrote a paper about, and I was shocked about it, but I, I, I realized over time, I think it's true. Sometimes it's easier for white people in leadership to deliver for Black people than Black people in leadership. Talk because a bit more about that. Anytime Barack Obama wanted to do something that remotely looked like it would benefit Black people, people from the Democratic and Republican Party were up in arms. It's like, this is a race-based policy, and that's not fair, and he's being you know, impartial. If Joe Biden does something and says, hey, listen, I need to target Black people because they don't trust the medical community. Why? Because we have, what, however many hundreds of years of receipts of not trusting the medical community, especially the last 50 years explicitly, or small businesses in the Black community were struggling after 2008 anyway, and look at how they're disproportionately affected. We might need to have a racially targeted policy for the African-American community. Well, when Joe Biden says it, it doesn't look like he's playing favorites the way a Black leader uh, would be accused of doing. And so we've seen this on the congressional level. We've seen this with mayors, where oftentimes Black people get less under someone who looks like them because they are constantly accused of playing favorites. So I actually think that Joe Biden might be in a better position to deliver than, say, Obama was.
1: Well, <clears throat> you talk about it being in a better position, or the Black candidates or elected officials. Not being able to do more, they have a higher hurdle, just like we do in mm-hmm. general, mm-hmm, <laughs> in mm-hmm. whatever uh, position uh, you may be in. Continue in that same vein. Uh, in listening to Biden's inauguration speech, and I had to. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it because watching it live, it wasn't as moving and staring as everyone commenting it for it to be. And I was like, maybe I need to read it. Yes, I <laughs> always, we'll see. And that's, I learned that when Obama was president,
0: I would always read Obama's speeches because the way he would present them people would feel great. And then you read it, it's like, did he just say he's about to deport 1 million kids? Like, you know, like, you got caught up in, like, the language and the rhythm. And then it's like, he just really talking about some, like, capitalist nonsense, right? And right. so I think if we read Biden's speech, you can hear the empathy and you'll also be able... I mean, he's calling out white supremacists.
1: Well, that was one of you the things like you to point out to, to, for him to have the ability to... Uh, call out white supremacy directly in an inauguration speech. But to me, people were all excited about it. And I was like, well, you know, we say white supremacy is a white people problem anyway. So why mm-hmm. not have the white person and the white president deal with it? Because we're not used to white people actually dealing with it,
0: even <laughs> after the summer. Right. I mean, white people are still like, wow, what should I do? And, you know, and I've said this before. It's like, you know, when you were growing up, your mom's preparing to have company over. You know, family's coming in. Whatever, the house needs to be clean. The dishes needs to be done. Food needs to be cooked. And you come downstairs like, "Hey, what do I need to do?" And your mother's like, "Girl, you better look around. I'm like, look around. I'm like, don't ask me what needs to be done. Like, you see these clothes need to be folded. You see this, you know, kitchen needs to be clean. Is the table like, set? Like, what is I that? Mean, come place? on, girl. You know, Thanksgiving is in you know five hours. Like, what do you think needs to be done? And I think that's where black people are with white folks. They're like, "So, what should I be doing?" It's like, where? Been for 400 years, like and also, I
1: gotta tell you what the work
0: is. I got to tell you what to do set this table, clean this kitchen, clean up, right? Because I'm tired of cleaning up, and so I think that yes, Joe Biden saying it is actually huge because we're not accustomed to white people saying it, especially in an inauguration. What I think is also really telling is when he's calling out white supremacists and you've got, you know, your Rush Limbaugh's and your Ted Cruz's and your Hollies are like, I'm so offended by the speech. It's like, when I got on this call and I said, hey, pretty lady, and you answered because you know, I'm talking to you. If I got on this call, it was like, hey, you racist, white supremacist nonsense, <laughs> you wouldn't answer because you wouldn't think I was talking to you. <laughs> so when he says white supremacists, and they're like, what, what'd you say? Hey, don't call, You're like, it's like, they know who they are. Stop pretending. Right. Mm-hmm. And so either double down on it or, or confront it. And I think that Joe Biden, it's interesting because his age keeps coming up. But what I respect about Joe Biden and I respect this is part of my like, love of LBJ. I respect people who evolve mm. because I've evolved. You know, like we look at our parents and our grandparents and how they possibly thought about certain issues or policies and they've evolved sometimes time is a beautiful thing so it's like to hold 29 year old joe biden or 60 year old joe biden to 78 year old joe biden isn't necessarily fair i think those eight years working under a black man who was younger than he was who had a lot less experience but you know was charismatic and maneuvered things i actually think he learned a lot i think he learned about a lot about himself i think he learned a lot about his colleagues in the Senate who were like, yeah, I'm not working with this black man. Like the answer is no. I don't care how great the policy is. I don't care if it's a bill that I suggested. I'm still going to vote against it because I don't want him to succeed. I think he was like, wait a minute now. <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense. I think he's learned a lot about America where he's just like, he is seeing some things that his old Scranton, Delaware roots and hard working Irish Catholic family, you know, good people surrounding themselves with good people. He's like, These are good people, but some of them have some really messed up racial ideas because they refuse to accept that this black man is the leader. And so part of him choosing Kamala Harris, I think, is to nod to the fact that he learned some lessons. He wasn't always perfect with them. And we can look at black leaders, white leaders and others to see their evolution. And I think I respect someone who evolves as opposed to someone who just stays stagnant their entire political career.
1: So let me go back a second <clears throat> in talking about some of the issues, some of the policies that Black folks would be looking forward to this administration addressing. Obviously, we have the economic recovery that COVID basically caused that we will need to address. And we also have COVID, the actual healthcare crisis that we'll need to address as well. In addition, the social justice issues. And so I want to be clear that for black folks, it's not just the social justice mm-hmm. um, standpoint, like we want justice in the economy, justice in healthcare, all of those things. And I, I'm trying to prepare and engage and encourage folks that po- some of the policies and legislation that will come out of this administration won't be stamped at the top. This is for black folks. right? But if you read the fine print. Right. We should look at everything that is coming out, not only from the administration, but also from Congress and seeing where are black people in every page and every letter. Right? Where are the things that impact our communities in that aspect? Because we know white supremacy and the structural racism and the disparate policies are interwoven in every aspect of our society, it's going to require that every time we look at something, we're going to have to look at the racial impact and understand how the communities that have either been targeted or left behind are included in every aspect. Well, I think if you look at some of his appointments
0: mm-hmm. and the people that he's appointing not just people of color but also white folks who have been doing the work I mean keep in mind we have four years of people who had zero qualifications for the jobs that they were doing so of course they didn't have a racial lens because it was a very homogeneous uh cabinet and and sort of the second and third levels of the bureaucracy but these were also people who had zero skill sets so if you look at the folks that Biden is actually putting into those positions if you look at the, the 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 papers they've written or the books they've written, they actually have a long history of, of thinking about communities of color and/or more specifically black people in the work and research that they've done, whether it's uh, economic council or or labor or indigenous communities or civil rights and civil liberties. So that to me is already a head start. You know, if I think about someone like Alondra Nelson. Or Kristen Clark I mean or his cabinet positions I would argue that everyone with the exception of Mayor Pete has a background in what they're doing (laughs) I mean listen transportation I get it he 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 did it on Fox like he did what he was supposed to do but hey you're in charge of 47 buses dude like I don't that's the piece I don't understand um you gotta find something for the talented little white boy somewhere I I mean
1: listen it's 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 an epidemic. I mean, I put him, Beto and Ostov. I was like, (laughs) wow. You know, I'm sure you experienced this in your career as well. And to me, it was like in the beginning of my career. And I talked about this in a news article recently about starting my career and having white male peers who for me, I had to prove why I was worthy to be there. And for them, it was like, oh, they have good potential. And so I'm going to push them up the hill, right? So Asaf and Buttigieg, like they remind me uh, of the, that type, right? Of we need to push him up the hill because he has great potential and I'm going to mm-hmm. invest in him and find a space for them. Whereas other folks are back working and toiling and uh-huh. just, just trying well, to prove that I can be in the room.
0: Think of it this way. John Ossoff is a center, good for him, right? In Georgia, hey, thanks, Stacey, thank, thank all the people who worked. But he's 33 years old, and the biggest thing on his resume is that he met John Lewis when he was four, and he volunteered for him, okay? Reverend Warnock has a 35-year history of <laughs> civil rights work, toiling, PhD, all the things, pulls Ossoff across the finish line, let's be clear about that, and then Reverend Warnock has to run again in two years. Ossoff is set. He's got six years, but because of the nature of the raise and, you know, the the appointed seat and we know the Senate, they have to be staggered. So Warnock has to go through this again after he helped pull this child across the finish line. (laughs) And what is your qualification? Beto, after you lost, what did you do? You get in your car and you drive around Texas talking about, woe is me. I got to find myself. You got your guitar. What does Stacey do? She gets to work. So Beto, had you used those two years to actually Think about how you can be of service to the state. Maybe Who knows Texas. what Texas could have done?
1: Hmm? Hmm. Hmm. But no,
0: Stacy gets to work for two years and delivers Georgia. Beto sits there and looks in the mirror and is like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do next? It's like, <laughs> I mean, this is just, it's so frustrating because, you know, the work we've done with Higher Heights and the the types of candidates that come through and how they're so qualified, Yeah, yet they're starting in- last place. Right. And we see like someone like Cori Bush. Right. And it's like, wow. Okay. So you're going to come in and actually get to work. But like this assumption that these, these boys just roll in It's like, well, they know, like, you know, they, they they know how to do it. They know how to lead. It's like, as a professor, I see it all the time. This assumption that, you know, white boys are, are just inherently going to be good at this. And I'm like, says who I see these kids when they're in like the germination stage. And I will say this, and you won't remember this, but you came to visit one of my classes, one of my um, parties and elections seminars. Do you remember this? And you said, I want to be white man on phone. Yes. And, and that class was disproportionately, it was 20 students. I think I had like 17 female students. And a student of mine saw, I think when you delivered jumani's race, Mm-hmm. You know, and like you were clearly the architect behind that and you were getting your flowers for that success. And a student emailed me who was in that class and was like, looks like she's getting closer to be white man on phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, because you broke it down for them, sort of like the worker bees on a campaign, the sort of people who were seen as like the intellects on a campaign. And then the folks who make all the money, but you don't know who they are. And somehow they're like the geniuses behind a campaign. And it's like, right. What are they doing? And what do they know? Uh, And who are these people? And so I think that we see this in the candidate stage. We see this in um, the leadership of a campaign stage. We see this in management and we see it in governance. This assumption that like Chuck Schumer should be the majority leader. He ain't built for this.
1: He's not ready. Like we would never- he has been trying for what decades.
0: Yeah, and maybe there's a reason.
1: Why, well, you've been trying, and it didn't work out till now, Oh my,
0: yeah, I'm saying it, so it remains to be seen. Hey, listen, I'll stay open, but yeah i'm not I'm not holding my breath.
1: How can it be that you love the most? Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm chatting with my home girl, Dr. Christina Greer, the Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University, about holding this new administration accountable. Chrissy, you were saying? I think
0: there are a lot of ways that we can look at a Biden-Harris administration, circling back to your original question. And I do think, though, there has to be a touch of patience. A few weeks, maybe. just a okay. few, I'm not saying months. But I'm saying... Yesterday was their first full day of office and keep in mind we're all coming down from a collective trauma. We're all getting out of an abusive relationship, right? We're all just sort of recognizing physically like how how abused we've been for the past 4 years. And so I think that there is uh a demand for like fix it now. Fix it like <laughs> heal me, you know, heal right. the country. And it's like listen, he's doing his best I mean he wants he actually wanted the job so like I think he's surrounding himself with people who actually want to do their jobs as well and who actually have the skill set to do their jobs and that to me is encouraging now I'm not saying let's check in in a year and a half because guess what the Democrats realistically only have I mean we say two years before the midterms but realistically a year because then once people start campaigning you know Girl, got nine months. Comes to the voting.
1: <laughs> we got nine, nine months, months before, nine post- months.
0: yeah. So, and so that means if we give Biden a solid three to four weeks just to figure out all the damage that's been done, I mean, he's got to survey the situation, you know, sort of like when you check into like an Airbnb, it's like, I just got to walk around for a minute just to see, like, what is this place? <laughs>
1: like, he's got to walk around. Do I got knives. Do
0: I need to go get three? I got to go to this Diet Coke <laughs> button. <laughs> there ain't no receipts for anything he has left nary a road map like where are we and this is just domestically like to say nothing about you know we don't even know what kind of financial and safety cliff we're on uh, internationally so he's been at work for a day you know by the time this podcast
1: airs he would have been at
0: work for only three full days
1: yeah That's it. okay so- i'm gonna get i'm gonna give i'm i'm gonna give a month but but even in that, I still feel that l- that's late with <clears throat> the flurry of executive orders, which I'm grateful for, for all of the rollbacks, as you mentioned, of things we knew going in that needed to be addressed. Congress is also going to put forth legislation on democracy. So trying to address some of the um, issues. I'm a little bit scared about that because I remember the last time a, an election was up in, in, in uproar and there was follow-up legislation on the national and on the state level. And we got the Help America Vote Act and a, a number of things when people move in haste to, to yeah. address those things. But then we do need haste in passing a John Lewis voting rights bill. We yeah. do need haste. Like there are some things that have been held up in the Senate that the House has already passed. Yes, that waiting for up, Chuck Schumer
0: to waiting. corral his, quote, his colleagues.
1: Let's right. See if can do and that. so let's let's get that. And even though we have a equal... Senate, we have a tie-breaking vote for the vice president, which actually puts, gives her more opportunity, I would imagine, to show up and not just in a ceremonial, Mm -hmm. manage the Senate space, but more of being a tie-breaker. We'll see how big and bold the Republicans are going to be challenging this administration's Mm -hmm. legislation as well. Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, keep in mind, the vast majority of the Senate was still on the, the trip of Joe Biden's not, you know... Exactly. Proper 46 president of the United States. So we're dealing with a certain level. It's interesting because there's still a racialized undertone to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like you and I know black politics incredibly well, and there's something to be said about there are a lot of those guys in in the Senate. Let's just say they don't like black people, period. That's just what it is. But they really don't like white people who work with black people. And Joe Biden is the embodiment of that. He worked for a black man for eight years, served him dutifully, like never undercut him, and then he chose a black woman to work with. So like he's the worst kind of white person for them <laughs> because he's like he's surrounded by blacks. And so I think the good thing, the encouraging thing about someone like Kamala Harris is she's from the Senate. You know, she's not a governor, so she actually knows these people. She knows how they vote, how they behave. Um, they might be thinking about her in some of their antics, uh, knowing that she's the deciding vote. So she's going into a body where she's not completely uh, clueless as to how it operates. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact and, that
1: for in. and for both of them. And for both of them. So to both of them having the old boy, like I've worked with them, I can right. build with them. And then having a uh, VP Harris to be like, I know you worked with them, but let me tell you what they. <laughs>
0: because it's like, hey, Joe, you stopped working with them in 2008. Like yeah. I, I started working with them three weeks ago,
1: yeah. you know, so, like, yeah. well,
0: technically on the 20th, when I, when I <laughs> resigned my seat, exactly. so it's like a lot has changed in those 12 years that Joe Biden has been gone. Yeah. Um, and the behavior of some of his colleagues that he was once very close to, I, I think he and Chuck Schumer sort of like, but I know you, like,
1: why are you acting this Don't way? Like, well, we have lunch sometimes. Yeah. It's
0: like, well, white supremacy <laughs> is a drug, honey. And once you're on it, you can't get off it.
1: So, lastly, I'm 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 gonna ask this. So, I've seen a lot of concern, particularly on cable news. Folks are a lot of concerned. I'm concerned that Joe is naive about bipartisanship and things. And I was like, is he 12? Like, <laughs> like, are, why are people acting like he's a child and naive about politics that he's worked in all of his like professional like professional career? But are you concerned about his focus? of bipartisanship and working together or are you like he grown this is his (laughs) this is his career and kind of kind of get where he's going
0: yeah I I do have some real concerns about him and Chuck Schumer Mm. and thinking about I don't I don't think that white people fully understand the capacity of other white people I think Mm. white people do and I think this is why January 6th was so shocking to white people and not black people And I do think that because Joe Biden knows a lot of those folks in the Senate, he's like, listen, I know that y'all didn't want to work with Obama. That's when he sent me to sort of try and smooth things over. But, you know, now I'm in charge. And like, you want to see me succeed? It's like, no, they don't. They don't, Joe. And so for the good, and I do think that he loves this country. Like, I think he loves this country and he genuinely wants us to be unified. So I think he's willing to go to the mat and say, like, how can we figure this out together. I think he's approaching it in a good faith effort. I don't think he's dealing with good faith actors. So well the hmm, thing maybe
1: is- I have a little bit more faith in, in in two things. So one, a little bit more faith in Joe Biden that there will be some things that he won't compromise on. Mm-hmm. And then I have more faith in us that we've learned about more about accountability and sort of making sure he doesn't compromise on things. So we have a greater uh, voice and a stronger pushback, I would say. So I guess I, those are the two things that I have more faith in because I know white people as you white people who are white supremacists, white people who just don't want people uh, to to succeed, that they just like I know them already. Right. I know what they're capable of. I know. It. Whereas, as you mentioned earlier, Joe Biden can rise to the occasion, does believe in the country, does have compassion for it. And I fundamentally believe there may be things that he says, I'm not compromising on this particular point and that we collectively are more forceful this time around to sort of hold someone accountable to making sure that they don't buckle.
0: Well, I, I think, yes, we're we're louder. I don't think, I don't know if we're more organized. I'm not sure about that. But I also think some of the constraints we had under Obama, which was, we know you're dealing with these white supremacists. So we want to call you out, but we also know that you're dealing with so much other stuff solely because you're Black. Whereas with Joe Biden, it's like, hey, Joe, we got you in here. We can take you out of here. I also, though, am comforted in the fact that someone like Joe Biden, he's like, you know, hey, I'm from Scranton. I'm a grandpa and here are my two dogs. And this is great. He also, like, Every now and again, you hear his tone. He's like, listen, what we not going to do up in here? What we not going to do up in here? I mean, when, you know, you heard him talking to his newly sworn in staff, it was like, listen, let me hear you treat somebody poorly. You're out of here. I was like, okay, John." I was like, let me find out, Mr. Wilmington. But I think that, I think he has been looking at that Oval Office for so long and really thinking about how would I handle that situation? I'm sure there were many times that he advised Obama and Obama listened. I think that there were probably many times that he advised Obama on something. And Obama was like, listen, I'm the number one, you're the number two, I'm gonna do it my way. So that's just what it is. And Joe was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I get it, I'm playing my position. But I'm sure that he, that's why I think he's one of the most prepared presidents in modern history, because he had an up close and personal look on a very active president. You know, George H.W. Bush was like sort of dealing with Reagan and that kind of nonsense. But like, then we had Clinton, who was a governor. He didn't even know how the Senate worked as, as was evidence, right? Okay. Then we had George W. Bush, a governor, didn't know how anything worked and like, as was evidence. And then we had Obama who had been a Senator for literally 20 minutes. Right. And Joe Biden was basically like, I'm here to just be- make sure that we don't fail. And I wanna make you look good. This is where I think the respect A lot of black people have for Obama for Biden comes in. So he's been looking at this office in an up close and personal way. It's like, okay, if I'm faced with another economic crisis, because don't forget when they rolled in in 2009, I don't think we as a country really knew just how close to the edge we were of falling off that economic cliff and dragging the rest of the world down with us. And so, granted, they handled it in a way that I didn't like, you know propping up banks and propping up the automotive industry. But hey, they also have information that I don't have, right? And so I think that Joe Biden probably thought about like, how would I have handled that if I were in charge, if I were the number one, not the number two? And hey, sadly, here we are. We are on an economic cliff, except for the fact that we're also in the middle of a global pandemic where half of the country doesn't believe in wearing masks. The other half of the country, you know, half of them don't believe it's real. Half of them say they won't get a vaccine. Like, how do we get from underneath this? Because until we move past COVID, and I think that that is a priority for him, we can't get back on track economically. Mm -hmm. People can't be back in society. We can't go to the movies. We can't go have our spa day. You know, like teachers are struggling, like all the things. Colleges can't survive much longer than this. You can't justify paying $60,000 for a Zoom class. You know, so I think the, to say nothing of small businesses and transportation and all of the things that, economically make up cities and towns in in this whole nation. So I think that he's thought about these things. And even in the transition when he didn't have the actual information, this man believes in science. He
1: believes in surrounding himself with smart
0: people. He actually believes in saying, I know some things, but hey, maybe you know something that I don't know. So let me actually listen to the folks. And I think Kamala Harris will be a good balance in the sense that they won't always agree. I actually think that, you know, Joe Biden might have a better understanding of Black policy issues than Kamala, to be very honest. I mean, she's West Coast. She's also the first Democrat from the West Coast that we've ever had in this position in modern history. And we know that West Coast Blackness is not the same as East Coast Blackness (laughs) or Southern Blackness. And like, it's just different issues. It's different policy positions. It's different ways of thinking about how to solve problems. So I think it's great that she's there because it's a different mindset. But like she represents West Coast blackness, <laughs> and uh, I think Joe Biden has—he's an East Coast kid—and I do think that actually having this East Coast West Coast is really important.
1: I okay, now like- I'm visualizing them doing an East Coast West Coast TikTok. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> like a, on the White House lawn. Yeah. Um, you made a, a a note about LBJ being—I don't—I don't, I don't want to say your fave, but he's my favorite. My your, oh, your fave. So just as we close, expand upon, like you see the see comparisons there between Biden and LBJ or the potential?
0: Yeah, I mean, LBJ, you know, obviously started off as a staunch racist segregationist because that's what the job required. He was a congressman from Texas, from rural, you know, racist Texas. And Mm -hmm. then as he's a senator, he expanded. And then as vice president, he expanded his mind and kept moving closer and closer to the left. And then as president, he's in the midst of uh, civil rights struggles and Vietnam War and all the things. And so he was also a shark though. And I love the the difference between a Biden and LBJ is LBJ was like, I'm a shark. Everybody knows I'm a shark. I behave as a shark and you swim accordingly. I think Joe Biden though, because he's been in Senate, the Senate for so long, and he was a vice president. And I think that vice president job is really important because you get to sort of have a lot of benefits without the burdens, you know, Mm -hmm. like you ain't the number one, like (laughs) you're AD to LeBron. So if they win. It's like, yay, the Lakers won. If they lose, LeBron, why'd you make a lose, right? And so you get to see a lot of the landscape. But I think that Joe Biden is a touch more of a shark than he lets on. Because guess what? You don't get to be president of the United States without being a little bit of a shark. Like this whole like grandpa malarkey thing. It's like, yeah, we all we all play a role. If you're an elected official, you know, you have an origin story, right? And you have sort of how people view you and... I think because of his age it's like yes he is and what we needed at the time during the campaign we needed somebody with compassion and empathy we have over 400,000 Americans who are dead families are grieving communities are at a loss like we needed someone who was like listen I've been through loss like I have a family I love my family just <laughs> like I know their names I know their birthdays like I'm a grandpa but I think also when it comes to I mean like that that speech to his staff I was like okay all right. Like he's also recognized I'm the executive. And I don't think you remember it took Obama a really long time to recognize like, hey, boo, you're in charge. Because for a while, he was like, oh, shucks. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm the president. I think Joe Biden's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the president. I get it. Let's sign these executive orders. Let's let's get to work. And I think he also has a lot of smart women around him
1: uh, who work.
0: unlike like, you know, our good friends who are still on these vanity road trips talking about what was me. <laughs>
1: You know, Chrissy, I can't wait. I'm—we're um, gonna get kicked out of our spa. So I know. <laughs> and also, listening to you, your your critiques of Obama, I'm like, will Chrissy ever get to actually interview? <laughs> I was like, I would. I need this cover. Like, I need a, re- and I don't know that it can happen yet. I think we need about ten more years for him to have a real, for us to have a real conversation with a good runway of the impact of his presidency mm-hmm. and for him to be like right now he's in immediate reflection and even in reading and listening to his book whatever it's immediate reflection it's not sort of the entirety context of his presidents but listening to you and Dr. Carr from Howard like listening to like all the folks or whatever in the critiques I was like I need him to be in conversation with people that have this real critique and we can really unpack you know, his what, what those, yeah.
0: because let's also be clear, we were pretty silent in a lot of ways yes. of, the, of, some yeah. of the minor critiques, you know, it's yes. like, okay, the major things, it's like, all right, we got to call you out, bro. Like, this is just what we have to do. But we understood the level of racism that he was dealing with within his own party, within the Senate, within obviously the House as well internationally, you know, being disrespected by world leaders, you know, so we understood that because we're successful black people and we are still dealing with it every single day. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, fall back. We understand that you can't be the black president, but like, are you a president who just happens to be black? Like what is going on here, sir? And then for me leaving office and starting my brother's keeper and doing that little national tour, of pull your pants up and don't, you know, um, don't be a deadbeat dad. I was like, listen, Work out your own daddy issues on your own time. Do not, Mm -hmm. do not come to Morehouse College while grandma's been sitting out in the rain for five hours waiting for you to come, watching her baby go across that stage where we know communities by hook or crook made that happen financially and emotionally and sit here and chastise Black men about not taking care of their families and dating hoochies and listening to cousin Pookie. I was like, your idea of Blackness is borderline a caricature and some like stereotypical movie. I'm not here for it. So how do you really think about black people in this idea of my brother's keeper? It's like, cause if that's how you view us, I don't want you anywhere near us mm. in your post-presence.
1: Yeah, we definitely have to have, you know, and, and I have illusions. Who the hell has a cousin named Pookie? Like, stop it. Stop I have it. illusions of like, I would love conversations and do a whole nother series called Bur- Burden of the First. Mm-hmm. Yes and but have you know, like, and have conversations with President Barack Obama, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, you know like uh, well, we aryyer like talking David about dinkins. like uh, David dinkins and like talk in in and not just in politics but in different aspects and sort of talk about that that burden because even in private conversation with some folks that who have been the first something in, and they talk about that you want to, particularly those who come from like a 50s, 60s era, whatever, it's just like, you want to be a credit to your race, right? You you know, this, but at the same time, like you're dealing with the unprecedented thing and you don't have the luxury of doubting yourself. You don't have the luxury of taking risks. You don't have the luxury, right? You want to do that. You want to have the freedom to fail. You want to have the freedom to excel. You want like all of that kind of stuff. Just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. And and I say that that about black people in general. I was like, I want black people to 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 live our full uh span of humanity. I want us to be I want us to be uh uh, trifling, I want us to be excellent, I want us to be like I want every aspect, every range that we can be, and it not be something that is attributed. Um, right. specifically, it was like, we have to do the black excellence because like, we have to go, we don't have like a margin that.
0: of error. I mean, like, yeah. like Barack Obama had zero scandals during eight years. He and his entire family had to be perfect. And they were still hyper criticized. Right. And it's interesting because I just finished John Thompson's autobiography. He finished it before he passed it co-written with Jesse Washington, uh, from the undefeated. It's called I came as a shadow phenomenal But, you know, he's he's the Georgetown, the late Georgetown coach. Uh, But his whole thing was like, I just wanted to have the luxury to be able to, like, fail like everybody else. Like, real equality isn't perfection. It's like Black people, we're not equal because we had a Black president who literally had to be perfect every single day. We're still talking about that tan suit. Right? We're talking about Michelle Obama's arms. We're not talking, I mean, because the, guess what? If Barack Obama had two ex-wives and 26 sexual assault allegations and, you know, mistresses and bankruptcies, he wouldn't even be a state senator. Yeah. So, like, we he's not even starting on equal footing coming yeah. into the White House. And so John Thompson really talked about, you know, the burden of this black coach at a white school and what that meant to sort of my players have to be perfect. You're not perfect, but, you know, I have to make yeah. sure, like, this was at the, at the time when players actually graduated from college, but, like, they've got to graduate, we've got to win. Like, it's not a, just about education. It's like, because if we don't win, there is no conversation. And we see this all the time with Black coaches. I mean, you know, you have one okay season, you're fired. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas these other guys get to just fail for 13 seasons and then maybe they get fired.
1: And then the the internal process that you have to do, and even as a woman identifying this as well, like you're just trying to do your job, and like people being sexist and racist, and then the internal conversation you have to have with yourself of, is it worth me saying something? Oh, goodness. Right, like because and, and do I want to be seen as, and even dealing with clients and things at, at at different points, you know, I've had to ask myself the question: Is it worth me doing? Do I want to be? and black women today, like they're pissing me, like they're pissing right. me I'm up and off and I want to go off, but I have I'm to be in that meeting. role today.
0: Yeah, I literally, last month I was at a board meeting. I had just tweeted like, hey journalists, you can stop talking about black candidates. I think we were talking about Warnock and, and mm-hmm. Harris and you know, sort of that in between time. It was like calling someone articulate is not a compliment. Don't do it. Like calling a black person articulate. So like, I had like tweeted that in the morning in the evening board meeting someone on the board hey I actually I saw you on you know whatever show you're actually quite articulate
1: <laughs> and, so, and then internally I don't, I
0: don't, it's like I do I, don't, I, I don't, now, and so then I'm like do I call you out in front of the entire group all 40 of us on the zoom do I let it slide or do I send you a dm so of course I send him a dm but then I gotta send the ed a dm like hey girl now, my energy is all jacked up. I'm doing you a favor. Now, you know I got to saying. work. Though, now, I, I got to work and, and and deal with and so then of course it's like, "Well, he didn't know." Well, it's like, "Well, you know, is that my problem?"
1: Right. It is. Is it my burden to like to to that you you have to know? Like, you missed the on. massive
0: memo? Oh, right, cuz you don't have to actually know about how to treat black people.
1: You know so, what? I I I'll, I'll just end on this. What I appreciate is having And I know we don't use the term, you know, people don't like the term allies or whatever, having people. I was recently in a situation getting ready to go on air, like literally 30 seconds from going on air. The host says something that is borderline sexist. And I'm just like internally, like whatever. And the, the my male elected official who was on with me as well intervened. Like, Ooh, you know, on my hey, behalf. And he's he yeah. like, well, I'm pretty sure she doesn't want to be the net. And I was just like.
0: <sighs> ah, somebody has good training. Somebody like, has good training.
1: Yeah, I was like, I didn't have to go there. I was, cause internally I was like, we're 30 seconds from going on air yeah, and yeah, my face about to be turned yeah, up because it's yeah.
0: you know, something. And you, and you know, I don't have a poker face. <laughs> so, you know, when, when things go, go left, Chrissy Greer looks like things just went left. because I was in that board meeting. Everyone's like, ooh, really? what's going on there? I was like, yeah. Cause I so, actually like, I, I don't want to give you a smile. And I think that's also like, there's a, there's the gender piece, you mm-hmm. know, there's there's the racial piece. I think for for us also, oftentimes there's an age piece, yeah. you know, where it's just like, or okay. The and all these,
1: things, age.
0: all these things have to be calculated oftentimes in milliseconds.
1: And so it's always great when someone else jumps in because it's like, because I'm tired too. It's like, I don't want to have to, and literally I'm processing in my head, yeah, I'm yeah, 30 yeah, seconds yeah. from being on air and I don't uh-huh. want to have to tell this. To like, oh, right. like, um, and then right. brother jumped in and was like, I'm pretty right. sure we right. should not, let right. <laughs> say that. And but I'm you like, know, like
0: I, I'm sort of known as like the can't let it go person sometimes because I will, if I can't get it in at that moment, I will circle back, like, <laughs> I'll circle back. It's like, you know what? I just need to circle back from 45 minutes ago. (laughs) It's like- When you said- (laughs) Right, (laughs) didn't forget, did not forget.
1: Thank you to my girl, Chrissy Greer, for making time to speak with me and for you who showed up to class to listen to our conversation this morning. We'll be back next week with more of Sunday Civics. In the meantime, make sure you do your homework. Remember, number one, finding out who represents you on the federal, state, and local level, getting all their contact information because you're going to be prepared to to, to communicate with them on a regular basis. And then two, I want you to Communicate first by sharing your top three priorities with the people who represent you. We'll be back next Sunday with more Sunday SIGVIX. Thanks for listening.